and we've taken kind of a pause. It's connected with Acts uh, chapter 2, but we've taken a pause in looking at the question of tongues because that's where we see the introduction of tongues um, here in in, in the New Testament where we see um, the gift of tongues that is given there. And then we see that there's, um, in Acts chapter 2, we see the the tongue, um, the people hearing in their own language, their own dialect. Um, And then we we ask the question of when did tongues cease or are tongues for today? Um, And and we've looked at that. We began looking at it last week. But I want us to look here tonight and review what we looked at last week, what we studied last week, and then to to finish up this kind of a sub-study within our study of the book of Acts and answering the question about the gift of tongues. And this might not be something for you that you say, well, I, I don't even think about the gift of tongues. I know it's not for us today, but it's good for us to be able to understand how the tongues are used and what the, the application is um, and uh, when they did cease and to be able to give a, a strong biblical answer as to why they have. If you've not run into it yet, you will run into it. Perhaps I, I would dare say most of us will in our lifetime. I already have several times in my life. Um, people that I love dearly, I know them, they're good people, yet they say that they have the gift of speaking in tongues. And uh, being able to understand and the Word of God to be able to give a good answer as to why uh, we don't today speak in tongues as God's people and, and how that tongues have ceased. And so I'm hoping that through this study will help you. Obviously, when you're studying the Word of God, though, there's going to be multiple things that uh, by hopefully building to your knowledge of the Word of God and how God's Word is put together that will help you um, in other studies that we we come to as well. But this is a this is a, a very um, confusing thing for many people today. Um, like I, I mentioned you know a while ago, that there's people that we know that we, we that are good people, godly people, yet they speak in tongues, and they say that they believe in that. It's like why is that? What how are they uh, able to do that, or what what's the reason for that? Or what does the Word of God have to say about it? The most important thing. And so um, today, as we continue looking at this, remember that the, the Apostle Paul, if you were to talk about a charismatic individual, and the charismatic being what you call today people that use the sign gifts, you would have to say the Apostle Paul was as charismatic as you possibly can get. And he talked about the church at Corinth in, in First Thessalonians, First uh, Corinthians, chapter thirteen, verse eight. Um, look at it there, if you would. He says, "Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail; whether there be tongues." They shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. He says this, it, and, and yet in the next chapter, he talks about how the church at Corinth, that, that, um, um, that uh, he speaks more um, than all of them in chapter 14. So if you were to look at it, chapter 12, he talks about the, um, the, the gift of tongues. Chapter 13, he talks about the misuse of it and what it, how the fact that it's going to uh, vanish away. And then chapter 14, he then goes back and he says, but I speak more tongues than any of you have. And, and so Paul was one that did speak in tongues, there's no question. Not the tongues people talk today, remember that. The word tongues is dialect or it is a language or it is actually talking about the actual physical part um, of your mouth and speaking. And it's not talking about what people talk about today. But the Apostle Paul, he did speak in tongues. People were able to understand in their own language when the Apostle Paul would preach. And so he had the gift of speaking in tongues during this time. And, and so he goes back to chapter 14 after this chapter and gives guidelines for how to do it. If you're going to use or you, God is giving the gift, you're going to use it, here are guidelines and the right way to do it. We're going to get more to that later. But the question is, when, and when did the, the, the gift of tongues cease? It's still obviously happening here in 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul talks about it. So last week, we wanted to, to look at it. If you look at the Word of God, remember the Word of God is broken up not in chronological order. It's broken up by subject. Um, it, it's broken then up uh, by size or by writer. And so um, if you look at the Apostle Paul's writings, um, we have to look at the order in which he wrote them to get a good timeline of when tongues did cease. And so last week we began to look at it. And, and you remember in Acts chapter 9, he kind of used Acts as kind of a guide for the timeline of when he wrote the books. We can see that. Um, in Acts chapter 9, the apostle Paul gets saved on the road to Damascus. And then he goes on to write 13 letters in the New Testament um, and from Romans all the way to Philemon. And in breaking up, um, as far as writing, the way it's putting toge- put together in the Word of God, the epistles, there are two different uh, guidelines for putting them together. The, the, the very first group of epistles that Paul wrote were the letters to the churches. 
And the second group is letters to individuals. They're arranged then, after that, they're arranged by size. So what is the biggest epistle the Apostle Paul wrote? Does anybody remember the biggest epistle? What would be the first one, Doug? Just as far as it came about, not probably chronologically, but you know, it was spoken in different Romans, good job. So Romans, and if you look at Romans, and then it goes down from there all the way to the smallest, and the first group set would be to the churches, and then the second group set would then be to individuals. And so you've got this group, and you've got this group by, by size. Um, uh, first set to the churches, second set to the individuals, first uh, grouping by size, second grouping by size. And so understanding that. So the order of these first six books that he wrote if you look at the, the to the churches, the first six ones that he wrote was Galatians. You can see a, a chart up there, Galatians. Um, you can find where he wrote that in looking at the book of history, Acts chapter 14, 1 Thessalonians, Acts chapter 18, 2 Thessalonians, Acts chapter 18, 1 Corinthians, Acts chapter 19, 2 Corinthians, Acts chapter 20, and then Romans, Acts chapter 20. And so during the time of the book of Acts, during that history of the church at that time, these are the books, the epistles, the apostle, actually books, or letters, epistles, the apostle Paul wrote. And in Acts chapter 21, Paul was arrested, and for the remainder of the book of Acts um, and beyond, um, he, he now is in jail. All right, so shortly after the end of the book of Acts, we, we still see Paul being a prisoner now in Rome. Paul wrote the next four letters, his prison epistles, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, Philippians, all right, so all of these were written. This is, the, this is the chronological order in which they were written, the time frame in which they were written. And so uh, Paul was released from prison uh, uh, for a time, uh, perhaps some say three years. And during this time, he wrote three letters known as the pastoral epistles. And that would be first and, first and second Timothy and Titus. And so um, during that time, okay, so he wrote the pastoral epistles. The, the, while he was set free, first and second uh, Excuse me, 1 Timothy, Titus, and then he wrote 2 Timothy later on um, when he was back in prison once again. That was the last time he was back in prison. When he wrote Timothy, that second uh, letter that he wrote him, um, he was, um, it wasn't that far after that that he was beheaded. All right? So he was in prison. He knew his time was short. You can read that when you read 2 Timothy. Kind of look at it from that perspective. helps you understand the, the, some of the things that he says to Timothy. And so all of that, just reviewing what we looked at last week, put them in the chronological order. So the question is then, when did the sign gifts cease? So if you look at it, when were they included in his letters? When did they stop? So the first six letters, all written during the period covered by the book of Acts, we find the sign gifts were operating in all these churches. You can go and see in, in, in different passages of Scripture there, those, those six letters, we see him talking about the sign gifts. You can see it there. But during the time of uh, the book of Acts, the Lord revealed through the Apostle Paul um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and the verse that we've already read tonight, how that they were going to cease. So he knew that they were going to cease. The Holy Spirit of God had already told him that. The time hadn't come yet when he's writing to the church at Corinth that they were going to cease. That's why in chapter 14 he tells them, if you're going to use the sign gifts, this is how you do it. He gave them guidelines to that. But you've got to remember the timeline of 1 Corinthians when he wrote that. And, and it was earlier in uh, his um, uh, ministry, um, earlier in the time frame that we're looking at here. And so the gifts were all operational. And you come to a point when you get to the, to the book of Acts, all the books that he wrote during the time frame of the book of Acts, that after that we don't see any mention of tongues again after that. So when did the gift of tongues cease? Um, they ceased. You, you can see it. Following through chronologically, all the way through at the end of the book of Acts is when they stopped. And so last week we talked about, it's interesting, you look at the epistles, the prison epistles in Ephesians chapter 5, when the Apostle Paul is talking about the gifts of the Spirit and how the Apostle Paul didn't say anything about speaking in tongues, didn't say anything about healing, didn't say anything about that, yet he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. You think a person is filled with the Spirit of God, if there's going to be such a thing as a sign gift, you would include that in the writing, yet he didn't do that. All right, so we see it there. Um, um, in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 30, Paul no longer had the gift of healing. Um, his co-worker, Epaphroditus, he, he was sick, and yet Paul did not heal him. Prior to that, we see in Acts chapter 28, verse number 9, that he was able to heal. And we see the fact that even if they, a person touched a handkerchief of the Apostle Paul, they could receive healing. 
Yet, at this time, Epaphroditus was, was sick, and he doesn't receive healing with the Apostle Paul, doesn't have the gift of healing anymore. Um, and so we see that it stopped. We, um, pastoral epistles now. Move on from the prison epistles now to the pastoral epistles. We don't see any sign gifts there at all. Now, you think that if you're talking to a church or a leader of laying a foundation for what a church should be looking for in a pastor, you think that a sign gifts was something that was still going on and be listed as a qualification. Something that would show the power of God is on this man because he speaks in tongues or he has the power to heal and uh, prophecy. And when I talk about prophecy, we're talking about foretelling, all right? Uh, excuse me, foretelling and telling something, not proclaiming the word of God, but, but having a, an actual word that God gives you that is something in, um, for the future or addition to the word of God. We don't have that today. The Apostle Paul doesn't talk about it at all in Timothy at all. And so we see it does not exist. Um, there's no, uh, what about Timothy when he was sick? What did Paul tell Timothy to do for his belly when he was sick? And I, we drew this last week, but I think it's good to remember it. What did Paul tell him to do? He said, I'll send you a prayer cloth. I prayed over it. I've anointed with oil. You touch this and you'll be healed. And he touched him and he said, you'll be well. Now you can say that. What did he tell him to do? Remember? What's that? Yeah, little wine to the belly, right? And, and using it medicinally. And we talked about that last week, not talking about being a uh, person that drinks wine socially. It's talking about a medical thing. Same thing that we use today, like taking some NyQuil, something of that sort. All right? So he doesn't tell him, though, about, and we see that again and again and again. Um, and, and likewise, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, Paul has to leave behind a co-worker, uh, Trophimus, um, it, who had fallen sick in the last journey, he talks about it. He had to leave him behind because he was sick. Now, why didn't the Apostle Paul, that was full of faith, man, that was charismatic, why didn't he just heal this man and say, hey, we got to go on this trip, i got to heal you, we're going. He doesn't do it. Why? Something's changed. There's a definite difference that we see in the transition um, through time. And so Paul's gift of healing is no longer operating in Philippians chapter 2, verse 27, 1 Timothy 5, 23, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. And so when you arrange Paul's letters in the order that he wrote them, it allows us to see the pattern of truth that is found in the Word of God. The pattern couldn't be any clearer. I, I look at it as plain as, as, as night and day to me. It's black and white. It's easy to see. You've got to properly look at it. You've got to look at it properly and break it down. But um, we see the sharp contrast between the earlier letters and the later letters. After Paul had said that it's going to cease, we see the thing of time when it did cease. Paul stopped writing about it. Paul stopped speaking about it. Paul did not give instruction to the pastors of what to do in a church of how to handle the speaking of tongues like he did to the church at Corinth. All right, He didn't have to do any of that. All right, So um, we can now give a scriptural answer to the question when it started and when did it cease. It started on the day of Pentecost. And it ceased at the end of Acts. Really, you see it all encapsulated in the book of Acts, the timeline. We're talking about chronological timeline. And so they ended at the, book of, at the end of the book of Acts. So next question is this. This is pretty much what we looked at last week. But the next question is this. Why did they cease? So why did they cease? What's the reason why? Because that's a logical question. Okay, it, I look at the word of God. I see they did cease. But why did they cease? And so I want you to look here once again now. Go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Look at verse number 8 once again. Notice what Paul says here. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And so here we see that Paul, he talks about the gift of tongues, of prophecy, of knowledge. And during the, the Acts period, they were only in part. These things were in part. It was the beginning. Remember, we have the beginning of the church. We have things that God is, is, is starting. There's, some, there's a, 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 literally a, a change in dispensation of what's going on, how God is dealing with men. You go from being very focused in on the God's people, the children of Israel, to the, that age, to switching into now. What do we call today's age that we live in right now? What's it called? The church age or the age, the, the age of grace. 
we live in the church age, there's a, there's a transitional period that's taking place here. There are a lot of things, and I've talked about this before. We have the birth of the church of birthing things that took place that were for a time, and then they ceased. There were things that Paul's talking about here that are in part, that are in part, that are in part. He says it here, and he's talking about, I had these things in part, but when that which is perfect is come. And he's talking about it's coming, it's going to happen. It's interesting, in, in English, as in Greek, there, this, this, that thing which is perfect is a neuter pronoun. It's a thing. It's not a hymn. It's not talking about a song either. It's talking about it's not a person. There are some that will interpret this that say this is talking about the return of Christ. When Christ comes, then there will be an ending of this. That's not what this is saying at all. It's, it's in that thing. It's, it's a neuter. It's not a, a male or female. All right. Paul was not writing about the coming of who, he who is perfect, but the coming of a thing which is perfect. So when it, when it came, then the gifts that were only in part would cease. That which is part is going to be done away with. It'd be like um, Paul, he uses an illustration here. And a lot of times you've got to understand when he's using illustrations or analogies, he's not like, it's like the speaker of the tongues of angels and not, don't have charity or agape or love. I'm going to sound you guys from Ephesians 2 here. He doesn't say that he's actually talking like an angel or talking in a language of angels. He's using an analogy. If I could speak like an angel, right? And he gives an illustration here about being as a boy and a man. When I was a boy, I became a man. Uh, it, things changed, all right? Um, the difference between being a child, becoming a grown man, or be, between someone seeing their face reflected in a wavy, ancient mirror in a glass darkly, not being able to make out, you know, what, what you actually could see, but then being able to see something face to face. Maybe today analogy would be trying to use your phone to see somebody when the signal's bad, and it's kind of hit and miss, and you can't quite make out what's going on. Actually, it's funny. I got a I got a picture from my uh, youngest daughter yesterday for her Christmas card. Remember, some of you can relate to this. And the picture is really small and pixel because because the copy that I had I took myself it was thick with something, but it looked like three Yorkie dogs that were chasing. You could it just all fuzzy. You couldn't see it. You know, you can't make it out. But when you see somebody face to face, it takes away all the question, the seeing. Paul, that's what he's that's what he's saying. This is like right now. We have what's in part. It, we see it through a glass darkly. It, it's like, but when things mature, when things change, we're going to have that which is perfect, and we'll be able to understand it better face to face. He's using an analogy. So before the end of the book of Acts, during the Acts period, and, and the letters written during the Acts period, the Lord had only revealed part of the dispensational grace. You can see that in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2, talking about this. He'd only written in part, God had only revealed part of that to the Apostle Paul, but he had not yet revealed the entire message to him. God was still releasing this information to him at the exact right time place, uh, time and place. And so he was only seeing in part during the Acts period. But to close the book of Acts, the Lord completed that revelation. He, and so uh, I'm going to kind of break it down. It's interesting. He says that which is perfect um, was finally revealed, and that which is part was done away with. Um, Paul wrote, look at, um, let's see, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, look at verse number 12. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. It's an interesting verse. Now I know in part, but then will I be able to know what? As I am known. The clarity will come, all right? I'll be able to have a better understanding of this. That word there, know, is an interesting word. Paul, when he said, now I know in part, that word there, know, in the Greek is gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. Gnosticism, that's a word that comes from that. This is the root of that. He's using the word gnosis in the Greek. And that word, it, 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 it's, it's talking about simply knowing. Um, but then he wrote that I shall know. He's talking about the future. Um, and that word is a different word. That, that second word that says I shall know, the word know, is epinosis. It means to fully know. Gnosis is, is knowing this little bit over here, part. Epinosis is knowing, having a bigger picture, fully knowing. All right, so right now we know in part. That's where we get the English translation from that. We know in part, but then we're going to have, it's going to be completely revealed. We're going to know, the, the, the completely, fully know. 
And so you could really paraphrase what Paul's saying here. He says, now I'm writing, he's talking about 1 Corinthians. I'm writing this book. Obviously, we're in chapter 13. The chapter wouldn't have been written yet. It's a letter that would have been written. He's saying, you could paraphrase, say, okay, I'm writing uh, 1 Corinthians, and and you could find in Acts chapter 19 the time frame of when he wrote it. And I I have Gnosis. I have, I know, but it's temporal. It's small. I know in part what God's message is for us today in this dispensation of grace. But then, when that which is perfect has come, I shall have Epinosis. The full knowledge of God's message of grace for us today. And so all through the book of Acts, Paul had only partial knowledge of the message of grace. That doesn't mean that he couldn't preach salvation. It doesn't mean that he couldn't share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It just means that God had not revealed the full mystery of the grace that God was going to reveal to Paul. God had told him he was going to reveal it to him, and then God did. But through the book of Acts, he had not revealed all that to him. And so as you look through his, all through that, Paul, when he talks about no, it's Gnosis, Gnosis, Gnosis. You get to the prison letters of it. You suddenly find that Paul is using that word epinosis. Not just some knowledge, but full knowledge of God's grace. Not just understanding this much, but having complete knowledge of what God had revealed to him. That God had revealed all of it to him. Full knowledge, which he didn't have when he wrote to the church at Corinth. And we see that in a couple of different places. I'm just going to give you a couple of examples. But here's a prison epistle, Colossians chapter 2. Go ahead and turn there if you would. Colossians chapter 2. When your wife says, the garbage needs to be taken out, you can just say to her, Epinosis. It's a good joke for some women these days. I know. Holy no, the garbage needs to be taken out. Right. Yeah, sorry. I don't know why I just thought of that. You guys think I'm crazy. <laughs> I get, I, anyway, moving on. Look here, Colossians chapter 2. You can see all kinds of fun stuff with that. Um, Colossians chapter 2, look at verse number 1. For I would that you know that you knew what great conflict I had for you and for them at Laodicea, um, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement. All right. In that word there, what do you see? Knowledge. Knowing. All right. To the acknowledgement. No. Right there, that word, it is the epignosis. Um, um, and so he is talking about full knowledge of the mystery of God. Okay, mark that in your mind. He now has the full knowledge of the mystery of God. When you look at 1 Corinthians, he says, I see in part, we, we prophesy in part, we have this part. But that which is perfect has come, we're going to have the full knowledge. He's using Gnosis in 1 Corinthians and when we see now, he's using that he has the full knowledge of what? It's not just a simple thing that he has full knowledge of. He's talking about the full knowledge of the mystery of God. All right? God had revealed this to him. So he has an understanding that he did not have when he wrote 1 Corinthians. Look at another passage. Look at verse number 9, if you would. Colossians chapter 1. Go back to chapter 1. Look at verse number 9. <coughs> For this cause we also, since the day that we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, the full knowledge of God. Epignosis is what he's saying here. And so, and then verse 11, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power and all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks to the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. And so it's interesting, in, in all the seven letters written after the close of the book of Acts, Paul uses this word again and again and again, epinosis, the full knowledge, the full knowledge, the full knowledge. Prior to that, we see him in part, in part, having not knowing, but not fully knowing, all right? So what he had not received in 1 Corinthians 13, we now see that he has received it. That which is perfect had come, and so the sign gifts had passed away. There was no longer a need for it. The sign gifts were signs. 
that God was using for a particular time and place, and now that time has finished. There's another thing I want you to notice, is the fact that the sign gifts were given for a specific people as well. Who are the people that the sign gifts were given for? Do you, do you all remember or do you know? Who are the sign gifts given for? Who required a sign? Yes. The Jews, exactly right. And so the sign gifts were for the Jews. We see that. The Word of God speaks about that. They were looking for a sign. The reason why is not necessarily a negative thing. Sometimes it could be. But a lot of it had to do with the fulfillment of prophecy. They were looking for the signs that proved the fact that God's prophecies were being fulfilled. So it's not a negative thing, you might say. And so sometimes it was. But, I mean, as a whole, we could say it wasn't. Even the, even the disciples were looking for signs. They were looking for things. They misunderstood things, too. Yeah. There's no question about that. But we, understand, we have to understand the signs which were signs for God's signed people, you might say. They were signs for God's signed people. The close of the book of Acts, we also see a close of God's dealings with the nation of Israel for now nearly 2,000 years. You look at how the transaction, the transition happens in the book of Acts. It starts out with Jews. It then goes to the Gentiles. Remember, that doesn't mean that Jews can't get saved. We're talking about a transition. Remember, transition of time. We're talking about dispensation transi- uh, transition that's happening here. You're going from uh, one age of God dealing with people through the children of Israel to transitioning now to God dealing, reaching the world through the church. That's what we are. We're the church. We are the body, the embodiment of the Lord Jesus Christ going into the world today and reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now God, through this church age, through the age of grace, there's a transition that's happened. If you look at what Jesus said in the gospels to the Jews and telling them what was going to happen, he was preaching to Jews, preaching to Jews. Now, he didn't only preach to Jews. If you look at where he set up his home base, um, there in Capernaum at the top of the, the Sea of Galilee, the very north part, right here. That was a crossroad in that day. You would have had on, on the um, um, east side of the Sea of Galilee would have been the Gentiles. On the west side would have been where the Jews lived. On the east side, they ate pigs. How do we know that? Because they were Gentiles. And remember what happened to the maniacs of, of Gadara. That happened over on the east side. He went over there across, he went across in ship, going over to the Gentile side. And so we see the connection there. Jesus in his ministry, he did minister to Gentiles, but the majority of his ministry was to the Jews. And the preaching that he preached was to Jews. The prophecies that he spoke of was to Jews. Anybody want to name a couple prophecies that Jesus made while he was here on earth that were pertaining to the Jews? Absolutely. In 70 A.D., that that came, that prophecy was fulfilled under General Titus. Absolutely. And so that was a prophecy he spoke about. He also spoke about the Lord's return. He talked about end times. This is where you've got to be really careful. When you're reading the Gospels, be very careful that you put in proper perspective what Jesus is saying when he talks about end times. People mix that up, and they all of a sudden lose the rapture. Jesus Christ is not speaking about the rapture when he's talking about when Jesus comes back. He's talking about the second coming. He's talking to Jews. All right, understand. So you have to understand when you're reading that. Why am I even saying that? What I'm saying is that we see that Jesus, he spoke to the Jews. He's ministering to the Jews. He's giving them a chance. They rejected him. Bringing their bones on the tree. Not, right? First John chapter 1. We know that, right? They rejected him. They didn't want him as the Messiah. He knew they would do that, but nonetheless, by God's grace, he fulfilled prophecy and gave them the chance to be able to receive him as a Messiah. They didn't. He needed to back out of stuff. He knew they wouldn't, but they still made a choice. It's the same thing with salvation. God knows who he's going to choose to receive and who he's going to reject. Nonetheless, he gives them a chance. God is a gracious, loving, merciful God. He gives them a chance. They reject him. Now the transition happens. Now all of a sudden, transition that happens in the book of Acts. You go from being focused in on God's chosen people, the Israelites, right, the Jews. Now you hear things like not only to the Jew but also to the Greek or the barbarian, to the Gentiles, and you see a transition that happens. And what's interesting, you see that happening from the book of Acts and all the way at the end. Now, after that, the only other one that you're going to see that's really 
he might say focusing on the Jews would be Hebrews. And it's not talking about as far as the Jewish religion is talking about a group of people. Right. And so and, and that being said, though, we see it. God, he becomes silent when it comes to God's people. Because of Israel, the transition has happened. There's no longer a need for signs. There's a transition that's happened. God's not giving any more signs. He's given them all the signs that were required to show that he fulfilled them. By the way, he fulfills every part of prophecy in the Bible. And, and he showed it with miracles and things that he did. And so it's an amazing thing we see that. Another thing that's interesting, if you look at what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome, he said, look at it. Let's go to Romans chapter 11, verse 14. It's not going to be on the screen. Look at it, Romans chapter 11, verse 14. This is interesting to me. interesting is, you know, the top of your Bible, you'll have these little titles that will tell you kind of what the chapter's talking about. Mine says, God hath not cast off all Israel. All right, let's put that in context. Remember I just said that God is not transitioning. That doesn't mean that a person can't get saved. God has not cast off all Israel, but there's definitely going to be a transition, no question. But it's interesting. So Paul is talking to them, and you can go through this whole chapter, but I, I don't have, I don't want to take the time to do it right now. Jump down, if you would, then. Um, Verse number 12. No, verse number 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their whole salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Interesting. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the um, uh, diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, Inasmuch as I am the apostle of Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulate them, emulation them, um, that my flesh that might save some of them. All right. That which are my flesh that I might save some of them. I apologize. My context didn't focus real good on that. But what he's saying there is I'm, I'm Jewish. And I want to provoke them. The provoking is that they would get jealous that the Gentiles are now receiving the blessings of God and they're not. It's basically what he's saying there. But there is a transition that we see that's happening. And, and it, it's to the fact that God is reaching out to them. See, the Jews sought signs, so God gave them signs among the Gentiles now. At this time frame, God, they're seeing that God is working there and to provoke Israel to jealousy. And so, but with the close of Acts, God sets aside Israel for a time. The time just passed out of his program. All right, so we see that. I, I, to me, it's black and white. I, I don't have any question about it. It's easy to understand when we put it in the proper context, proper order, chronologically, seeing the fulfillment of, the change of, the, even the way that Paul speaks, the change of how he writes, what he says. It's not hard to figure out. So let's put that aside for a minute and think about this. What about people that do speak in tongues? What if you were here today and you say, I do speak in tongues, how do you explain it? It's a good question. How do you explain it? What's going on? What's happening inside that service when people are saved? Okay, so <clears throat> what do you say about a person who says they know that they're going to heaven and you ask them, well, how do you know? And they say, I just know. Well, show me how you know. I know because God saved me from this horrific experience that I've had. I've had a lot of these. I promise you. God saved me from that. He saved me from that. He saved me. They can look back at terrible things that happened in their life because they're alive today. They must belong to God. What would you say to them? What would you say? They say they're saved, yet they use in those illustrations. What would you say to them? Harold? what I'd say. Yeah, praise God that he did, because God knew today that you would be given the choice to accept Christ as your Savior. And that's 
God's grace. But that doesn't mean that you're going to heaven. Jesus said you must be born again. And so you go to the word of God. You have to go to the final authority, which is the word of God. And if what they're saying doesn't line up with the word of God, are they saved? No. If what they're saying doesn't line up with the word of God, then it can't be true. Then something's wrong. Who's lying? Is it God's word or is it what their belief is? And they might not be lying themselves, but they believe the lie. They've been brought into a lie. The devil, he, he is the chief of liars. He's good at that. So they might believe in it. They might actually with all their heart believe in that. But it's still based on a lie. There are really good people that believe based on a lie about this whole tongues thing, too. And there's some that, that get into the situation. And I remember back in college and um, taking major Bible doctrines. And when we got into the doctrine about the Holy Spirit, um, I did a final paper on the subject of this exact thing because I had questions. And at the time, I, I hadn't figured it all out. I'm still learning, believe me. But at that time, I really didn't understand everything. And so I wanted to do a study on that. Um, I had actually been dating a girl that was Assembly of God. And, you know, I, I didn't understand because she was a good Christian. She really loved the Lord, no questions asked on it. And, you know, and I, I, I reveal that to you. I wouldn't recommend you do it. I'm glad that God delivered me from that relationship. That being said, she was a good person. She loved the Lord. She, I still know today she has a family. She's married to a, a pastor, and, and they're working in a church somewhere at the, at the Assemblies of God. I couldn't question the fact that she loved the Lord. So I didn't understand it. It, it really, like, why? This person's a good person. Why? And so I did a study on it. And, you know, as the more I studied, the, the, the more I realized that this is something that the devil has really used to cause a lot of problems. And here's the thing. Most people aren't involved with devil worship. That's why they speak in tongues. Many of them, they're influenced because they come into a church. They're told that this is something that's a sign of whether you're filled with the Spirit. Some would say that. Some would say it's a sign of whether you're saved or not. Now, the Assembly of God doesn't say that. Uh, some uh, Pentecostal churches do. Um, and they say apostolic. Um, it, that if you don't speak in tongues, then there's something wrong. That, that's actually a sign of you receiving the Holy Spirit of God. That's the second baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and so there's people, they say, well, man, I've got to do this. There's pressure to do it. And so I really, I, after the study that I did and, and what I understand, when you look at it from my perspective, there's people that are, are lied to, they fall into, they begin to, I need to do this. They begin to practice even doing it. I've even heard people say that, go ahead and start, just, just start practicing doing it, and it will come to you. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. Why do I need to practice it? Why do I have to, to, to train myself to do it? It doesn't make sense at all. If it's a sign gift, that's just something that's instantaneous, that God gives you the ability to do. By the way, and when we look in the Word of God, the majority of what I see is that people are hearing it in their own language. It's not a speaking gift at all. Now, I say that because if you go to 1 Corinthians, you see what Paul is saying there. there he's talking about having an interpreter. Um, so there is times when a person is speaking in a tongue that people don't understand and needs interpretation. That's the only thing I would say to that. Um, and so I believe it can go both ways. I do. Um, and so, but, you know, so why are these people that are good people? I believe it because they begin to try to learn it. They begin to try to program themselves to do it. And before you know it, it, it it's, a, it's a trained thing. It becomes that. Okay, so you might say that 90% of the people that are speaking in tongues, it, it, they got there by that percent. Like learning to do it, starting to do it, hearing people doing it, doing the same thing. And then it becomes a trained thing that you're doing. And then there's a, a percentage of them. It becomes an emotional release of sorts. And it becomes, it literally, it creates a, 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 a euphoria. And they start to feel this feeling like they haven't felt before. It's a, it's a physical thing that they like to repeat because it feels good. And they're just babbling, letting go, just letting loose. That should scare you right there, that part, right? Um, because the Bible talks about us bringing into subjection every thought that we have, um, having our bodies under the control of um, the Holy Spirit of God, not just letting loose. Now, we die to ourselves, let the Holy Spirit of God lead us, but that doesn't mean we check our brain gun and fail. That's not what the Word of God says at all. Um, and so there's people like that, and, and, and there's people that it's obviously an emotional thing. I do believe, though, when you get to the bottom 
until people break it down by percentage. I don't know how you're going to prove it. I believe there's a percentage of that 100%, maybe 5%, maybe 10% of that really drives the rest of it. That's demonic. I truly believe that. There are people that are doing it in the demonic. They are either being, there's an impression upon them, or these people aren't saved at all. What did Jesus say when people are there at the, the, white, the, the great white throne judgment? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. What did he say that they, they what was their claim? Do you remember? And did many wonderful works. I prophesied unto you, did many wonderful works. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, is what Christ said. Interesting, isn't it? So people that can prophesy in his name and do many wonderful works, that doesn't mean that they're a born-again Christian on the way to heaven. And so there's, there's a group of, that percentage of, that the speaking in tongues that I believe is truly demonic. And I believe it's the one thing that drives the entire thing. There are people that are being lied to. They're following after. They think it is something. And once again, like I said last week, you look at the speaking in tongues, how they ceased after Acts. They didn't begin again until eighteen end of the 1800s where we see a resurgence of that. Okay, so there's a time of complete silence of that, the speaking gifts, uh, the, the sign gifts. The church as a whole knew that it was a time thing, that it was over, that Paul said that, that it had ended. Anybody that does a proper study of the Word of God, you see it. And then all of a sudden they start to say, okay, so that cannot be from God. When something is contrary to the Word of God, it cannot be from God, no matter how good the heart you think might be. You have to put it in black and white. I know a lot of people that are lost on the way to hell, but they're the nicest people you ever meet. We have to understand that. That doesn't mean I'm better than they are. We're sinners, and I'm a sinner that's been saved by God's grace. There are people today that are involved in that. There are some that are not saved and demonic influences upon them, and they are speaking in tongues, and that drives things. And then there are people that have, have, been, have been literally led astray and are following lies. And so what should they do? What should they do? If you study the Word of God, you follow the Word of God, and you believe the Word of God, what should you do if you do speak in tongues? Stop. Stop. It's not scriptural. It's not the right thing to do. You should not do it. It's probably something you learned. It's probably something that was manipulated on you. Stop doing it. It is not right. It is against the Word of God. And so, and it's interesting. If you, let's go back to uh, 1 Corinthians now, if you would. Look at verse number 14. Here's some instructions to those that were the prophets, you might say, at Corinth. And I believe this is pertinent for today. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 30. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may be all prophesy, for ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn, and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. And so really what, what, what Paul is saying here is understanding it. Um, we all have experiences that we learn from the scriptures. And we all have experienced things that, that we've experienced that are not from the scripture. And if it's something that you've experienced that's not from the scripture, keep silent. Don't say anything. Um, let the first hold his peace. He talks about this. And in, in verse 33, God's not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. In other words, if what they were prophesying didn't agree with the prophesying that God had given in prophecy, then keep silent. Stop talking. God is not the author of confusion. If you had a person, let's just use the illustration. Let's say Colin got to this spot. Stop 
talking, sit down. God's not the author of confusion. Can you imagine being in a church service where somebody's babbling over here and all of a sudden somebody gets up and contradicts exactly what they're saying? I have heard people say they were given prophecy that was contrary to the word of God and I wanted to tell them to just stop talking. Don't want to hear it. I don't need to hear you saying these things. I can give you an example of that. Um, I remember years ago uh, when we lived in Detroit, um, Charity was expecting she was, I think, three months along, and we were out. Uh, it was the day I was off. Um, I think we were out of the car having a picnic, and um, next thing you know, my, my wife needs to go to the hospital. She's having a baby. She's having a son. Well, you know, obviously, it's not happening. We get to the hospital, and she's inside the emergency room, and they ask me to step out, and some lady came through that emergency room that was praying with people, and I'm not against people praying with people in church. I think it's a wonderful thing. She was of this persuasion type of thing. And she came up to my wife, and she laid her hands on her, and she prayed over her, and she said, God has told me that this child is going to make it. <laughs> well, I can just tell you right now, that child did not make it. That day, my wife gave birth to a child that was not alive. And so somebody's lying. That woman did not have the gift of prophecy that she thought she had. Um, and so I'm just using that as an illustration. So be silent. If you know that you're doing something that's contrary to the word of God, be quiet. God is not the author of confusion. And obviously, if you look at the whole ch uh, chapter, the whole um, yeah, chapter of 1 Corinthians 14, he talks about speaking, the time you do it, when you shouldn't do it, how it should be done, the order of what, how it should be done. That's during the time when it was a sign gift. It is not for today, though. And so the, the point is, be quiet. Okay, one more thing I want to move on to very quickly. What about healing? What about healing? Paul, as we saw, was able to heal sick people all through the book of Acts. We see it again and again and again. He did. I mean, it's amazing the, the miracles that, that Paul was able to do by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. But we see after the book of Acts, the gift of healing ceased to operate. We've already talked about that tonight. I don't need to go back into it. Um, in Philippians chapter 2, you can go back and read about Epaphroditus and how he was sick. By the way, in, in Philippians chapter 2, he talks about Epaphroditus being sick, but Christ healed him by his mercy. You look, Go look at it. It would be the same thing as us today. We prayed for somebody, and God healed that person by his mercy. Paul doesn't say, I was able to touch him, and he was healed. Go back and read it. Look at it. We're looking at an epistle that's uh, uh, after the book of Acts, talking about time frame. And so... Um, and, and Paul, he commends Epaphroditus very highly for his faithful service, even unto death. And then he talks about how God had healed him. He was sick unto death, but the Lord had mercy on him, is what Paul says. And so here's the question. Is there healing today? Not the sign gift. I'm not a healer. There's nobody in the world today that has the gift of healing. Nobody has that. Does God heal people today? Yes and no. Yes and no. Anybody ever prayed for somebody to be healed and God answered that prayer? Raise your hand. You've, had, you've seen that God has answered prayer that somebody was healed. I got my hand up. We all know Mrs. Hepworth who prayed for her for, for years now that God healed her. Kept her from being, and by the way, that stick thing was right on her head. Thank God there's a book of her. Yeah. And, you know, but, you know, uh, God has answered that prayer. And I can name, uh, I can tell you, um, uh, Tracy Speck, just this past summer, going in for an operation, she had a tumor. They had done all the tests. They saw the tumor. They had the size of the tumor. They were going to have to make a bigger incision because the tumor was of size. They had to pull the tumor out. They went in to take the tumor out, and it was completely gone. We're talking about within a week's period of time, this tumor's gone. Now tell me that's not God healing her. But nobody laid hands on her, but many people were praying for her. And God answered that prayer. And I could give example after example of people being healed. And, you know, you talk about Brother Barnes. He talks about this great. He talks about, yeah, I've seen God heal it again and again and again and again and again. But I'm still going to die. And then God's going to heal me for real in heaven. You know, you hear about that. So understanding that, um, I can give you examples where, where Paul was able to heal and then he wasn't able to heal. And there's many examples that we see here. Um, the bottom line is this. Yes, God can answer prayer. Yes, James tells us that, that if a man, person is sick among you, to call. And by the way, it uses the word call. I was, when I was researching this passage, we studied the other night, I don't have time to go over it, but 
I like Barnes and his commentary. He says, Paul, it says, call the elders of the church. That means that if you're sick, give the pastor a call so he knows you're sick. Don't get angry because he didn't say that. All right, anyway, side note. But call, have him pray, anoint with oil. He talks about the picture of oil, the picture of healing. It's something that becomes medicinal. It's also a picture of the Holy Spirit. But the point wasn't focused on the oil. It's talking about prayer and having faith, believing. All right. And so, yes, the Bible speaks about that. But that doesn't mean that I can walk up a, a handkerchief and touch somebody or pay money to have it sent to you and touch an anointed thing and you're going to be healed. But God does heal. The promise that, that, that God has given to us today, that, that he knows, that he's able, and that his, well, his grace is sufficient. You know, the apostle Paul wasn't able to heal Epaphroditus. He wasn't able to heal Timothy. Uh, uh, Trophimus, he wasn't able to heal. He wasn't able to heal himself. And then you read the passage of Scripture, all these places where these people were sick, but this was after Acts, after times, healing had set, but he wasn't able to heal them. And yet, he asked God to remove this thorn from him. Thrice, the Bible says. And in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, I'm going to stop with this tonight. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God has a purpose and a will, and there are times when God will allow us to not receive physical healing for a purpose and a reason. And that's where our faith must be. We have to have the faith to believe that God can. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, right? We have to have the faith to believe that God can, and I do. When I pray, I believe that God can heal anybody I pray for. I say that. That's what I want to believe. I'm not going to tell you I'm always, but when I pray, I know. I just say, God, I know you can heal. God, I believe you can. And God, would you please? There's nothing wrong with that belief. Sometimes having importunity is a reason why, being not letting go. Keep praying to God, pray. And Jesus speaks about that, and, and God does answer prayer. But there are times when God's going to say no, and there's a reason for it. We just need to have faith to believe that God has a reason. Um, and so, but God's grace is sufficient no matter what we face, no matter what we go through. Um, and we, the bottom line, we live in a sin-sick world. But the gift of healing no longer exists today. The gift of prophecy does no longer exist today in the context of what prophecy is talking about. If I'm proclaiming the Word of God, one of the gifts that you use in proclaiming the Word of God, that's different than a sign gift. That's a gift of calling of God in your life, preaching the Word of God, proclaiming it, all right? But the gift of actually being able to have a revelation from God and sharing it, that's no longer today. Um, God has finished the mystery of His grace. The Apostle Paul had it. Put it down in writing. You'll have it right here. We don't need that. Um, and so... In a nutshell, I think that really helps to answer that question. I hope that helps you um, in your study. Let's, um, let's go ahead and, and um, have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for our study. I pray, Lord, that we would truly uh, have faith to believe in you and trust in you. Lord, we know you do have the power to heal. Um, Lord, you have the power to do any miracle you see fit. Lord, that we would have the, the faith to take steps, um, Lord, by faith, not by sight that we would trust in you, and Lord, that you would do a miraculous in our life. You still are doing that today. Lord, we don't need sign gifts. Um, Lord, you've made that plain and clear. And we thank you, Lord, that we have your Holy Spirit. And we have all the Holy Spirit we get. Lord, that you would have all of us. And we would surrender ourselves to you, be empowered by your Holy Spirit, led. Um, and Lord, we'll be comforted as well. I thank you, Lord, for your, for your word. Thank you for giving us clarity. I pray this in Jesus' name. Let's go ahead and get our...